the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Hello, and welcome to the Dragonlance Canticle. My name is Megan, and today I'm joined by two special guests, Jade and Sean from Lawful Stupid RPG, which has just launched an original Dragonlance show called Echoes of Kryn. Lawful Stupid RPG is a D&D network featuring live streams and actual plays, including their newest endeavor, Echoes of Kryn, an audio-exclusive Dragonlance actual play podcast. Their first campaign, Dragons of the Hidden Flood, is set in the turbulent years immediately following the War of the Lands. Echoes of Kryn features an original story, music, and a talented cast of voice actors. The show was launched earlier this month, April 2022, and you can find links to the show and to the Lawful Stupid RPG website in our show notes. So now let's move to introductions. Let's meet our special guests. Jade, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us how you got into D&D. Hello, everyone. I am Jade. I am one of the directors and uh, founders of Lawful Stupid RPG. I got into D&D when I was 10 years old, so 35 years ago, and I think we were just shouting like Magic Missile and stuff like that at each other, I think, back then. That's the way to do it. That was like pre-LARPing. Yeah, exactly. I've never done LARP, to be honest. That's not really my scene. It sounds to me like you have. Well, it was more of like screaming at each other across the room and none of us getting a result. So I think that was really the extent of it until we actually... uh, Properly learned it, yeah. So, but yeah, a long, long time ago now. So, how about Dragonlance? How did you get into Dragonlance? One of my best mates, um, he is really heavily into reading and he would only read sort of fantasy stuff. So, he got into, he found the Dragonlance books originally. But my first book was um, Stormblade by Nancy Berberick, I think it was. That was what I think was one of the Heroes trilogy back in 88. That's when I first sort of like found Dragonlance. And then after that, he, he said, you know, you should read the Chronicles. So I read the Chronicles and then the uh, the, uh, the Twins trilogy, uh, trilogy. And yeah, I just fell in love with it then. And I've uh, been a big fan. Stormblade is an interesting place to start. Did you just pick that up at the bookstore or the, the library on a whim? He, uh, he had like... Um, like loads of them on his bookshelf. So I just picked one up and I said, this looks good. He went, yeah, try it. So I said, okay. But um, I, I'm not a big reader. I think it's more, I start reading things and I miss sentences. So I constantly have to go back and read it. So I'm really into Audible now, which has been like fantastic for me. So, um, but yeah, I've um, re-listened to all the Chronicles and the Twins and God knows what else. How did you get into producing D&D content? Three years ago, um, one of my closest friends, who's one of our um, DMs on um, Sundays, he does a, a Dark Sun game. He was moving to the UAE, and we really wanted to sort of like um, continue playing. So um, one of my friends, uh, well, one of my friends and Kyle's friends, Kyle, he said, well, why don't you do this thing that like Critical Role are doing? And I was like, who oh, Critical Role? And obviously checked it out, and I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, people actually do this. And started my own channel, started auditioning for like players and DMs and the rest is history. Now we're here. (laughs) That was like three years ago. Well, you've done a lot in three years. I was looking through your website and it looks like you've got a lot of different shows going. You've got Descent into Avernus, Rime of the Frostmaiden, your Dark Sun campaign, Echoes of Kryn. Yep. Uh, Well, our Descent and Rime have literally just finished. Our Descent uh, was where I, I first met Sean. 
And he, he was the DM of that. That's literally after, what, two years, Sean, come to an end? Literally a couple of weeks ago. So um, that show's having a bit of a break. And they're back, hopefully, I think it's, what, June? Yeah, well, it would be a different name, but we'll do something something else end of June. And we've got new shows coming as well. We've got, well, um, for the back end, we've got like three or four sh- new shows coming. That's fantastic. We'll get to those a little bit later in the episode, because I want to hear what you guys have coming down the pike. Sean, tell me about your role at Lawful Stupid RPG. Well, I'm a DM. That's what I do at Lawful Stupid RPG. I, I create games. I, I run the, the games as a DM would. So I'm, I'm a performer. My, my background is in performance. I'm actually away on a gig right now, actually. And when COVID hit, at every theater in the world shut down. I had a lot of time and a lot of friends who had a lot of time. And so I did the thing that I've been threatening to do forever, which was start up a online D&D game, pick a campaign that looked fun, which was uh, Descended to Avernus, and figured out a virtual tabletop and got everybody on Discord. And then we switched over to Zoom and all that. And we, we started playing and we were having fun. We were just having a good time. And then Jade came on board with that game, just came in one of our friends had to leave the game and recommended jade to take his place and jade said hey i've got this company lawful stupid rpg and what would you think about streaming and at the time we were like well you know what else we got going on and it was certainly we, we realized very quickly that it was beginning to that the playing D was was beginning to uh scratch that performance itch and of course when we start streaming then you literally are taking taking things from game night to showtime and you know a little bit of both I, I made sure that it was always I was always focused on making sure my players were having a fun time and I was having a good game, but it was good RP and a lot of fun and people like to watch it. And so as performers, we like to perform. We started doing it um, Lawful Stupid and then I joined a couple of games being run by other DMs at Lawful Stupid and enjoyed my time with that. And, and now here we are. I still can't believe that the uh, Descent to Avernus game is over. Two years, I was... It was intense. We, we followed every single little <laughs> by road and had had to take breaks and, and create backstories and prequels as a couple in our group had a baby and so they couldn't be around. And then we brought out another character and we had to do all this stuff. It was, it was crazy, but we had a, a big, fantastic finale and lots of tears. And now we move on to the next thing. Did they name the baby Zariel? They named her Zelda. Oh, that's pretty too. Just to show you. Show you how cool they are. That is cool. I love that. Um, well, that's really, that's an accomplishment unto itself to finish a full length two year campaign like that. A lot of tables don't make it. Yeah, for, that was a first for me. I mean, I've completed other campaigns, but never one that lasted that long and that felt that complete. You know, And, and part of that is just the time we were living in and, uh, and are still living in. I don't want to say it's been a boon to role-playing games because I don't want to minimize the damage that COVID has done, but it's certainly given people opportunities within this space. And D&D was already sort of enjoying a, a renaissance anyway. So to have that happen then and to have everybody needing something to do, you know, it, it only fueled that fire. And we're lucky to have had something like this, this an escape into, a literal escape into imagination to help us deal with the stress of the world. Were you playing D&D for a long time before you started hosting for the show? I I like to say that I started playing D&D back when there was only one flavor of Dorito. <laughs> because, well, because I, I, I just, whenever I have a Pavlovian response now to Cool Ranch Doritos, because they were brand new 
when I started playing D&D, and that's all we ate around our table. That sounds delicious and messy. But not Mountain Dew and... Yeah, Mountain Dew. Yeah, it's exactly right. Mountain Dew and Cool Ranch Doritos, and then around 10 o'clock at night, we'd order pizza. Um, but I, like so many other people, I, I didn't have an older brother, but I think that, that what ended up happening is that all the older brothers and sisters who played D&D, advanced D&D, and sort of started off in a second edition who then went off to college and all their siblings, younger siblings were sitting in the corner looking at them play saying, can I play? And then they said no. And then when they left, they're like, okay, now it's our turn. And we all just sort of sat around and didn't really know what to do. We, we didn't know what was going on. So very similar uh, to, uh, to Jade's experience. It was just, we probably have like one or two hours of actual play and that it was just figuring out <laughs> what was nearby that we could throw at each other. Did you play the old Dragonlance modules for AD&D back then? I sure did, yeah. Uh, that was literally the first module I ever played. Uh, of course, we didn't get through it all. And that, you know, especially for young kids uh, at the time, I was, I guess when I first played it, I was probably around 13 or so, but I, I had read, I'd read the books as we had, all of us had read the books. And so the DM, we got to that well at Zaxeroth and nobody wanted to go near it. <laughs> so it's, that's, that's where we stopped. That's where, exactly where we stopped. Oh, no, yeah, of course. Why would you know what's down there? What you, you can't, you can't, you know, how, how can we approach this without summoning the black dragon? <laughs> There's just no way. Now I want to talk about Echoes of Crin itself. I've listened to the first episode of Echoes of Crin, and it's easily one of the more well-produced actual plays I've listened to. Sean's DM style is very smooth and focused, but it's flexible as well. Your cast is fantastic. Uh, I think Teeley is my favorite character so far. Would you please give us a brief, spoiler-free description of the characters? Well, uh, Jade, why don't you start, since you actually are one of the characters. I would not want to describe your character for you. I suppose that nothing's really been said too much yet, has it? Um, well, I'm playing Farin, a Hylar dwarf, and I am a cleric of Shinare. That's an interesting choice for a for a god. I don't think I've ever heard a of a cleric playing a Shinare cleric, especially a, a dwarf. It seems like they're just geared towards reorks. Yeah, well, actually, Shinare is very much a um, well. It's a well, obviously, Quinn wide um, Patreon, but. It is very much uh, for dwarves as well. But originally we were going to go with Riox, but because obviously, you know, with it set what three to six months after the War of the Lance, a cleric of Riox pro- would have probably been still at Thorbardin, sort of like rebuilding the war and stuff, where Shinare, obviously, it's about trade and stuff. So we decided to go down that route. That's a clever idea. Give sort of a baked-in reason for the cleric to be out in the world adventuring. We couldn't think of a, a logical reason why a, a newly realized cleric of Reorks would leave Thorbarden. They, they just wouldn't. That, that's where they would most be needed, be most needed at that time. So how about the other characters? Sean, do you want to give a, a one or two sentence description of the others? They're all very unique and fun. We have your favorite, Teely Tumblewood, who is a Kender bard, which brings with it it's all sorts of complications as far as Corinne is concerned, but she is a bard. She's from Hilo. Um, the setting that we start our game off is Gwynedd, which is the imperial city of northern Urgoth, or such, you know, the Im- imperial city such as it is, not much of an empire left, but it's still an imperial city with an emperor and all. 
Um, it has a zero tolerance policy regarding Kender. And in the past, they would have been executed on site, but now they're just, uh, they, their heads are shaved and they're kicked out of the city. Uh, but which is enough to keep most Kender away. But Teely is there. And she is looking for something or, or some other reason. There must be a good reason for her to be there. But that, that is as, as much as I'm going to say at the moment about Teely Tumblewood. She's a master of disguise. That scene when she's, uh, when she's dressing up is hilarious. She'd better be if she's, you know, her top knots uh, is, is hazard in the balance. So she needs to be good at disguise. Um, we have Lhasa, a half-elven wizard, uh, apprentice to a mage of, a wizard from the Tower of High Sorcery, a white-robed wizard named Aranathus. They've just arrived in Gwydid to set up diplomatic ties with the Urgothian Empire, again, such as it is, kind of following in the footsteps of Kith Kanan, uh, although, of course, widely different circumstances. And, of course, there, are, there may be additional reasons for their visit, but that is, remains to be seen. Lhasa has a, a fascination with humans in general, and the, having never encountered them before, uh, and uh, human city in particular fills him with uh, equal parts wonder and fear. That's how I feel about humans, too. <laughs> Love it. Um, and then there's Anwir, who is a one-armed fighter, rogue. It's not really clear at the outset. Uh, very observant and very secretive man. He and Lhasa have become friends in the short time they've known each other. And uh, Anwir has taken upon himself the task of helping Lhasa understand and deal with strangeness he encounters from his mother's people. And, uh, of course, like any good D&D character, a tragic past looms over him like a shadow. Uh, then, of course, there's Blip, who is our gully dwarf barbarian. She has a, an animal, a very devoted animal companion, a pig named Dinner. <laughs> Blip, highball, Blip very strong. She go bonk, you big ouchie. Uh, she's extremely protective and loyal to her best friend after dinner. <laughs> her best friend after dinner. The, the pig's name is Dinner. So her best friend accepting dinner is Manto Bubalina, who is an Argothian pit fighter. Uh, he's, and when I say pit fighter, it, the, these are fighting pits or gladiatorial arenas that are very much based on the school of games from uh, the Legends trilogy. Oh, yes. I, I picked up on that when I was listening. I thought that was... That was a very, a very clever insertion into your story. Well, thank you. Uh, I figured Ergoth is an old, old city and um, he's survived the cataclysm, but had um, very close ties to Istar. So many of the traditions would have continued and evolved over time. But at any rate, uh, there's a very strong caste system in Gwynedd that is hard to break out of and... That is something that Manto is trying to do. He's, he's hoping that if he wins enough fights, he will earn enough recognition to be able to leave his homeland and um, go travel in search of the fabled Knights of Solemnia. Uh, he is a, uh, obsessed with them, wants to be one. And that's our cast. You've got a very diverse cast of characters. I really like that. It's, it's a rare, especially that you see a gully dwarf, an agar dwarf or gully dwarf as a character. So those of us involved in, in this project, we have we run the gamut of people who are super completely versed in Dragonlance to complete uh, newbies who have, who've read the books uh, but didn't know, you know really 
at the time when we were choosing characters and all that, we didn't really know exactly what they wanted to do, and we were trying a bunch of things. And as soon as, as soon as Shale realized that she could be a gully dwarf, and she she figured out the the uh, character right away, and that she would ride into battle on a pig, she was she she never looked back. And so that that was that. We that was just what she wanted to play. And I said, well, all right, it's going to be interesting for a while, <laughs> a lot of reasons. She was going to play an elf at first. But um, I don't know if you've um, have you listened to the Audible books by chance? I've listened to to a number of them. I listened to Chronicles, Legends, and Summer Flame. So obviously, in the uh, in the Chronicles, the narrator does um, boo poo, and the uh, the gully dwarves has a heavy southern accent, and Chelsea just happens to be from that area, that neck of the woods. And as soon as she sort of said it, me and Sean just sort of like started wetting ourselves laughing. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, you could be the gully dwarf. It was really, we weren't even thinking about having a gully dwarf, but yeah, as soon as she spoke, I think Sean had made his mind up. So Dragonlance is a setting that has a very active fan base and community, but it's been kind of underrepresented in the live stream world. We at the Dragonlance Nexus have our own show, which is called Dragons on the River of Time. Which is awesome. Oh, thank you. And there's another studio called Wicked Studios that's been producing a long-running War of the Lance campaign. But there's not too many others. There are there are others, but not a lot. And I was wondering what made you decide to create a Dragonlance campaign as opposed to Forgotten Realms or Eberron or any of the other settings. Um, it was just a, as as I said, I'm a, a Dragonlance fanatic. I absolutely love it. And um, one of the one of the things is obviously everyone's really focused on forgotten realms and uh and, and eberron because they're the more popular and newer sort of settings but i've as i said i've always loved Dragonlance, and for the last two years i've been trying to build a team to do this podcast and like thankfully i've done that now but with wicked studios um yeah we love wicked studios we raided them friday night and um often raid them they're, they're actually a part of our uh, twitch team Explain rating to anybody who doesn't, who isn't familiar with Twitch. Yes. So once you've streamed and you've got, say, well, we we average sort of around 40, 50 viewers. Once you've finished, you you can send your viewers to another channel, um, which is classed as a raid. So um, we've actually raided you a couple of times as well, but I never noticed because obviously I don't know. I just I was like, hey guys, it's, I think people were focused on the actual game, but yeah, we raided you a couple of times. Well, that that that's a that's the case with almost any any live play game. We'd be right in the middle of something super intense, and a bunch of raiders go, oh, "Hey, raiders, thanks!" And then you go right back to it, and you, you don't want to break the flow. What would you say sets Dragonlance apart from other campaign settings, and how did, if it did, how did the Dragonlance setting lend itself to the story that you wanted to present in Dragons of the Hidden Flood? I think more than in. Some other settings, the delineation between good and evil is a, a bit more clear. I, I mean, I like it. it. It it helps to frame the adventure very well. Within that, you can have complications, of course, but it's there's definitely a a palpable feeling in the world of Kryn that there is evil that is working to completely dominate everything, and the forces of good are trying to resist it with all their might. And of course, there's the races of that are unique to Dragonlance, the Kender and the Minotaur, which are my personal favorite. There's Lunar Magic, which we're incorporating a bit of into our campaign as well, 
using a, kind of a mishmash of a, a couple of different combination of rules from very, a couple of different sources. And then, of course, dragons, which exist in all of drag, Dungeons and Dragons, but there's a, a feeling, a, a very strong feeling of them having a, a physical effect on the world. Maybe not at this particular point in where we're basing our game in terms of the history of Kryn, but they, they cast a long shadow and dragons are cool. As far as this particular story is concerned, well, I, I want it to feel like Dragonlance. So all of those elements are taken into account with the story. The other thing that's cruel about Dragonlance is it has <laughs> has such a a rich and well-developed history of the world. In our game, there's just been major historic events that have happened, but those historical events were predicated on other major historical events, which were predicated on other major historical events. So it's it's cool to have that wealth of just history so that as people are walking around or exploring things, I can just drop a little little something in that maybe they'll find or maybe they won't, but it makes the world feel more lived in, more real, more immersive. Yeah, one of my favorite things is the... Like magic and divine magic is just like really rare and awed, and that's one of the biggest things that I like. So if I, I mean, my favorite class is a wizard, and you know, you cast a spell in Dragonlance, it feels like a big thing, you know. And um, but don't get me wrong, I love it how other like campaign sets like Forgotten Realm that does it, but for me, it's just so much rarer in Dragonlance and it's just like, it's a big thing. And that's what, one of the things I like about Dragonlance. I think the idea of setting it so close following the end of the War of the Lance is really, is an interesting take on it because it allows you to present this world that's kind of rebuilding, like a, a post-war Europe. Yeah, the majority of the people, uh, especially where we're, we're setting our game, the idea that the gods have returned is one that it's it's, can scarcely be believed these people have lived their entire lives with that not being the case and this these events these world changing events have happened on another continent and they they have to accept it as true because of the stories and and, and the people who have returned from those wars who have seen the things that they've seen but still as far as the churches are just being rebuilt clerics are just finding that they have you know that the gods are finding their chosen amongst the people and, and bringing them forward and making them known. And there's no business as usual anywhere. It's always sort of portrayed as this positive event in Dragonlance that they would find, they would find these gods and everything would be wonderful, but you never think of it, how disruptive that would be to society. Imagine if you turned on the news tomorrow and it was like, Zeus descends from Olympus on a, on a cloud of lightning and proclaims the Olympian deities have returned. Imagine, imagine what that would do to our world. Uh, and so many, so many uh, cultures in Dragonlance maintained at least the tradition of the gods. Urgoth being such a uh, nautical society, they certainly, just out of superstition, would have continued to offer offerings to Habakkuk and Zeboim. But then, exactly, to find out, oh, wait, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, do you mean this actually means something? Uh, okay, I, I'd better really be. I better really start paying attention to what I what, what I've been doing. It's time time to get ready to go to church. Um, I was wondering if, as the campaign expands or continues, is there any chance that we might see some fan favorite Dragonlance characters somewhere down the line? Episode two: Farin marries Goldmoon. <laughs> we first started thinking about doing this. There was the idea of running a game or doing a story that was sort of 
concurrent to the events in the War of the Lance. But the more I thought about it, the more I outlined it and figured out how that would work, the more it just felt like celebrity stalking. And I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted, it, I wanted us to have our own game and for it to feel like Dragonlance, but for it to be a game that my characters felt like they were the ones that were important. That said, of course, it's Dragonlance, and these people's activities have affected the world in a way that has touched everybody. So they're certain, certainly known to at least a little bit of an extent, and, and they find their way in, in, maybe, in maybe a unique fashion, uh, at least at first, into this story. But um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would say there's a good chance that at least one or two known Dragonlance characters might show up. Might not be the ones that you're expecting, but we'll see. So it's not going to be Raceland swooping in on his green dragon and throwing a wrench into everything? It can't tell you too much because I'm sitting here. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. I got a, we got a player here. Yeah, if you were playing, I mean, there's there's the wow factor, but I mean, it's it really needs to be handled carefully. I, I've always felt that way about any established worlds, and if one of the heroes shows up, it's cool for a few seconds, and then very quickly, I feel like it gets stale because the I don't know the tendency is maybe with the 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 players, the the adventurers of the game, to think well. <laughs> Now that they're here, I guess I don't really need to do this anymore. I'm going to go back home. Well, there's always the risk that that character is going to become the focus of the of the show rather than your own heroes. I'll make. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to make them all the villains of this story. <laughs> the anti companions will be hated everywhere. No, I, I think. I mean, our characters realistically probably wouldn't know them if we if we just saw them anyway. So you don't know everybody's story, Farron. So no, I know my own. So. But like I say, it all depends on who's actually seen who, I suppose. I wanted to ask you specifically about the culture of Urgoth, because uh, so far in the the city, in so far in Gwynedd, where the first episode takes place, it's clear that this culture of Urgoth is going to be very important moving forward. And it's a culture that's always been important in Dragonlance, but it's rarely been the focus of adventures or novels. And I was wondering what made you decide to start the campaign there. Well, precisely for that reason. I was uh, very aware of how much material there is and work and um, all, all the uh, expansion that has happened in various parts of Kryn. And I wanted to feel, as a DM, I wanted to feel at least comfortable enough to come up with some of my own, my own things to, because that, that's, that's how you end up making a good game. If, if I feel like, for me at least, uh, if, if the world is something that I've made up, then I know it better. Um, and so looking around at the various different areas, I, I settled on Northern Urgoth precisely because there was, there are a few things that are definitely known, such as there's a city named Gwynedd and there's a few details about it. And there's a few things that have happened historically regarding it that have uh, popped up in some of the novels. And I'm going to try to include all that and make it so that if you, if you went to the Dragonlance Nexus or a wiki or anything like that and looked up the history that our game fits into what is actually said about Gwynedd and about Northern Urgoth during this time. That said, uh, there's very little, and I, I felt like okay, this is great. I can, I can play around with this. I can, I can create a culture. I can create a, a city 
make it feel real and um, colorful for my players. And that ultimately is a good thing. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> that said, I'm sure that at some point uh, down the line, somebody is going to look at everything I've done and say, well, actually, you've got that completely wrong. That wasn't the intention for what this area was going to be at all. And this is not Dragonlance. And I, I have to embrace that eventual uh, occurrence and, and, and confront it without fear. Ultimately, my, my, my duty as a DM is to make sure my players have a fun time. As an official ambassador of the Dragonlance Nexus, I can tell you that it is acceptable to ignore anybody who says to you, that's not Dragonlance. Fantastic. Oh, you have no idea the weight that's just been lifted from my shoulders. <sighs> Dragonlance is what it is at your table. Was it a famous saying from Margaret and Tracy there? They said that Dragonlance is what you, what you make of it, isn't it? It's, uh, it's very important. Exactly. There's not even any official pronunciations for names. It's whatever you want them to be. I agonized forever whether or not it was Gwynedd or Gwynd. I settled on Gwynedd, but who knows? The the upcoming 5th edition Dragonlance that's being released by Wizards of the Coast, from what we've heard so far, it sounds like they're going to kind of do a new setting. So they're not necessarily going to reboot the old material more like a, a soft reboot so that there's flexibility for people to play within this world that doesn't conflict with this 40 years of lore that we've got going on. So I feel like maybe Watsi is is aware of the pitfalls of trying to create games in a world with so much history. And you kind of sidestep that by doing it at Urgoth. I'd love to say it's because I'm brilliant, but it's really because I just didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> was it was the the path of least resistance i think that's 50 percent of dungeon mastering right there finding that path so how did you adapt dragonlance for fifth edition because you would have started before the official before the unearthed arcana or the official announcement obviously well we got the um we got the the uh dragonlance nexus pdf that we bought so there's a, a lot of stuff in there about like all the draconians didn't buy it was free it's fantastic Tasselhoff's pouches of everything available now at dragonlancenexus.com. <laughs> there, I mean, there are resources. I have the, the 3.5 book by Wieson Perrin. I, I, I looked through a lot of that. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of the math for fifth edition stays the same and it, it ends up just being a different way of describing things. But where we did come to places like, okay, wait a minute, if we're going to do Dragonlance, and that means, so what is, how do bards fit into Kryn? How are we going to deal with that? And I had to incorporate that into the story. And, okay, what about clerics? Are, they, they, are clerics the only persons that can heal? That's, that's important to know because there are other classes out there that can. And does that mean we're not doing those classes? Or does that mean that we are doing those classes that they just can't heal? Or do we say that they can heal because they are, in, in this world, they're more divine casters as opposed to arcane casters? All these things, all, all the nitty-gritty details, the things that you you kind of pretend are a hassle but are really what is fun about doing this whole thing. And as the UA comes out, we take a very serious look at it because we want our game to feel relevant to the in huge influx of new players that have come in because that's the future. Fandom essentially boils down to thinking something is cool and wanting other people to think it's cool too. And so I feel like 
the more we can bring Dragonlance to a wider audience, the better it is for Dragonlance. And if that means making sure that Dragonlance can exist uh, in a 5th edition world or a 5th edition system, then that's what we have to do. So as UA comes out, we take a serious look at it and think, okay, can we incorporate this without breaking things that have already happened? And if the answer is yes, then it doesn't hurt anything to do it. If the answer is no, then we try to figure out a way to combine them or to... <laughs> Maybe nobody paid attention when we when we said that one thing. So now we're saying this thing. But eventually it's gonna, we're going to settle in on, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be and it's not going to change from this. And if the... The source book. If the source book comes out, and we're still running this podcast at that point, then you know we'll take we'll take it as it comes. Right. We have a pretty flexible group. I, I don't think that changing the rules is going to affect the game too badly. It's going to mostly come down to are we are we able to continue to do justice to the characters we've created and to the world that we're playing in. Yeah, it's mainly about the story anyway, but here's something for you guys to laugh at. Obviously, I've been playing D&D for 35 years, and today I only just realized that Unearthed Arcana was actually like a testing format for the actual official dick books. I just thought, I just thought it was made by someone rad, like, you know, like, that's the first that I've heard. I was like, oh, wow. They just released a revised version of the Unearthed Arcana today. Have you had a chance to look at it? I have. I... I... This morning, I actually had a call. I had a, a telephone conversation with uh, our, our uh, panda, who is playing Teely, our Kender, and I was saying, okay, so we have this this Unearthed Arcana with uh, Kender Ace, whereas before we were thinking we would use the Tasselhoff's pouches of everything rules for how their kleptomania would work, but th this is this is very different. This is changing things a lot. I like it in that it, it makes that particular feature actually feel useful, but there's things about it I, I really didn't like, uh, but I felt like we could get around them very easily by just describing things differently. Uh, but that I, I liked, liked the idea of the fun and the potential for, are you telling me that you had that this entire time and didn't say anything? That the revisions removed it. Completely gone. Yeah, and then it was what's literally like three hours after that conversation, it was gone. And so I'm like, now I'm like, well, now what? Oh well, uh, never mind. <laughs> Just keep keep figuring out as we go. I suppose it's going to be an issue of role playing, or the the DM rolls on the table and decides what you pull out, or or who knows? Maybe there'll be a maybe they will have a D100 table in the actual book when it's released, like we have in Tass's pouches of everything. I added it to um, the role play. I don't know if you noticed, but obviously the, in mine and Panda's part, like it's obviously it's all improv. And I was like, you know, can I have my my um, herb my herbs pouch back? And I literally and, and Panda just rolled with the punches. And because uh, I think it's because obviously I'm a I know Dragonlance. I know what Kenders are like. And uh, Panda's done her research like fantastically on Kenders and stuff. So, but I like to throw things at her that she can jump on that sort of like make it fit really nicely she's nine tenths kender herself so i mean all you have to do is look at her you're like oh well i know what character you're playing but uh yeah there's there's a variety of ways we could deal with it i, I do think it does come down to, to role play but also uh i I'm, i kind of take notes and i i know the sort of things that people have and the sort of things that 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 tealy would be interested in having and so they might just sort of end up there and Next time somebody goes to look for something, I say, well, it's not there. <laughs> then, you know, that way, 
Steely legitimately does not have an, any, any idea how it got into her pouch because, you know, something that the DM took care of. But, uh, I mean, that, it's just one of those things. And, and that, that, that itself could change. That's, uh, we're, we're, we're just, we're forging our own path here in so many different ways. I think you should just, like, randomly, without us, any of us knowing, have a look through all the character sheets, like, remove Mike Dagger and put it in as Farin's Dagger in her, um, in her adventure without, without telling her, without telling me. And, like, uh, yeah, I think that'd be quite nice. I've heard people do, um, they switch the things that a Kender has in their pouches based on what they find during the adventures. So Tealy might be exploring a dungeon or something and look around and say, oh, what do I find while I'm exploring? And then you say, oh, you find a, an eyeball that fell out of a statue. And then suddenly that's on her list and it's something that she can potentially pull out. I mean, that's, that, that is definitely one way to go. But it, and it, as I said, it might end up just being a combination of everything, a combination of, of uh, Tasselhoff's and of UA and of my own creation. I'm, I'm, we, I'm leery of overstepping my bounds as the DM um, because I'm, I, I always, I say, as I say in the podcast, I'm here to guide and to follow, but I, I definitely, definitely res- want to try to respect those roles and, I don't know, saying what somebody has of somebody else's at any given time is dangerously close to the line. However, as far as Kendra are concerned, I feel like it might be appropriate. There's no limit to what's appropriate for a Kender. It is what you it is what you want it to be. That's the fun of a Kender. How do you both feel about the upcoming release of the official Dragonlance setting and the release of the new novel for Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman? Independent of your campaign, just as fans of Dragonlance, how do you feel? When I was watching the actual YouTube channel live and I was sitting there thinking, come on, there's got to be a Dragonlance thing. Then I started watching that like that um, trailer they were doing, I was like, please be Dragonlance, please be Dragon." And when it did, I was like screaming. <laughs> I was so happy that they finally got so I mean, we knew roughly, we knew something was coming, but there was nothing official was there. So I'm, I'm really happy that they've got um, a, a proper Dragonlance set. Because there's there's so many new people playing D&D now. Um, you know, Critical Role's done like a massive thing, and it's made D&D cool. And now there's like millions more people playing it. And this new generation um, of D&D players, they just don't know what Dragonlance is. And it's it's such a shame because it's such a rich setting. And with this new book that's coming out and hopefully with people just like D&D podcasts that listen to things and find a Dragonlance podcast or watch a Dragonlance stream, hopefully they learn of that and decide to sort of like dig a little bit deeper and and fall in love with it like the rest of us have. Yeah, I look at it as a, there would be no critical role. There would be no, um, I mean, what, what Dragonlance did, what those modules did, that you're living, you're getting a chance to play play your own characters in a story that has exists. And, and, and a good D&D game means the DM is creating a story, is, is building a story around you for to play. To, to just have that just be a historical fact, it's kind of sad. But the fact that we have this opportunity now to bring these new people, and, and obviously Critical Role has had a big part of that, but I think also it has to do with just the timing. We had all the people, like as I said before, those older brothers and sisters who played D&D back in the late 70s, early 80s, they're all retiring now. And so they want to, you know, I've got time now. We should play D&D again. 
And so they're all coming back. And, and I think that's another reason why Dragonlance is poised for a huge renaissance because, of course, one of the first experiences all those people had with uh, a, a really strong story-based campaign, at least for, as far as a module is concerned, was, was with Dragonlance. I also think we're at a time period where the people who grew up reading those books like in the in, in the 90s or grew up with second edition, the second edition campaign setting, they're having kids who are themselves now old enough to be playing D&D. Well, I mean, my daughter is, uh, that's, we're having a lot of fun with it. And um, I, I have my my uh, Dragonlance novels just waiting. My eight-year-old's already halfway through the Lake Chronicles. Uh, my two daughters have already been on stream, played D&D. They lo- absolutely love it. <laughs> with uh, Blip as a DM, actually. Blip the character or Blip the actress? You roll. You run now. <laughs> Chelsea, yeah, the actress. I think we've we've covered everything that I wanted to cover. I just want to know what can we expect from... Well, I know, Sean, you can't say too much since we've got a player amongst us. So, uh, Jade, you may need to cover your ears. But what can we expect from Echoes of Crane going forward? Well, Ergoth, uh, Gwynedd specifically, is unique in that it has some pretty high culture that is maintained over the centuries, which allows for some settings that uh, I think have not appeared in any Dragonlance material up until this point. So uh, that's a little little different, but it is, I think, in keeping with uh, Gwynedd in terms of what I have read about what Urgoth and what Gwynedd is all about. So we're going to spend a little time with that. But then, of course, uh, I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons. You can expect dungeons and, of course, dragons. We can't have Dragonlance without dragons. Well, I guess if you played in the Age of Despair, you could, but that's the heart of Dragonlance. So uh, are there any other lawful, stupid RPG projects that you'd like to highlight? We stream on Twitch at Lawful Stupid RPG. Um, we've got Missed Opportunities, which is back. and That is our Ghost of Salt Marsh campaign. That's Friday nights. And on Sundays, we play Dark Sun, which is a mix of uh, second edition um, with a few improvements like the the fifth edition like armor class and ascending armor class and stuff. Uh, that's Sunday midday uh, Eastern time. We've got we've got a new campaign starting um, in I think it's going to be May, maybe early early June, and that's uh, Heroes of Theros. Uh, we've got a Greyhawk game that's coming. It's in the works. And uh, we've got Sean's game back on a Monday night in probably June, July, which we don't know what it's going to be yet. I have a pretty good idea, but I don't want to get into it just yet. You don't want to give me an exclusive scoop on what the next, the next project is going to be? <laughs> well, there's, so many, there's so many ones to choose from. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a busy... Um, you know, I, I have uh, lots of irons in the fire for a variety of different projects. So when I when I run a streaming game, I I like to do a module, but I like to expand on that module. I use the module as the skeleton and then build out from there. And there's a lot of modules out now for fifth edition that I like that I would I would like to to run. But it's a matter of like picking the one that's best for the group we have. Uh, we just <laughs> send it to Vernus is a real downer. So I'm looking for something that's 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 a little different, um, but uh, it, it'll be coming. I don't don't worry. Okay. Well, Jade, Sean, thank you so much for taking time to visit the Dragonlance Canticle. I feel like Echoes of Crin is poised to 
ride the wave of Dragonlance fandom, which we are all hoping and praying and keeping our fingers crossed to see surge once the official setting is released. It wasn't planned, by the way. <laughs> it just happened. Well, your timing, your timing is impeccable. So good on you for catching that wave. I was saying, sure, we need to get on this band wave. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, something's happening. It's gonna, and I've been saying that for the last, well, eighteen months, nearly two years. Yeah, he's been saying it forever, and it, and it finally was true, and it just happened to work. I told you, I told you it was gonna happen. <laughs> you had some inside information, didn't you? I, was, I just think the main thing for us is what we've said. We just want to do with this whole Echoes of Crin. We just mainly want to make D and D players and Dragonlance like fanatics and people that love it. We just want to do them proud. And if we can produce something like that, which our editor and our players are more than capable of doing, then hopefully um, hopefully we're on a good thing. Yeah, I, I just wanted to shout out to our fantastic players, Panda, Chops, Samus, Lindsay, and Shale, and also Jade. And Aegis, our editor. Well, yeah, they, those other players are all fantastic. They, they are really what's making this project, the soul of this project. But uh, the person who's working extremely hard you mentioned before how uh, well produced it sounded that, that is thanks to our editor alias prime he's a, a wizard and we really appreciate his hard work well i appreciate you both for taking the time to come and speak to me lovely thank you for having us i'm looking forward to listening to the podcast and i'm looking forward to hopefully maybe echoes of crin in the next or lawful stupid rpg in the nexus can do something together at some point in the future fantastic yeah would be amazing thank you very much guys Bye-bye. bye 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 Bye.